and good morning to you. It is Saturday. It is time for the Cummins Real Estate Group Show. Saturday morning. It is time for another edition of the Cummins Real Estate Group show with Michelle Cummins and myself, Curtis Pope. Michelle, I understand we don't have any feature this week. No features, but just some uh, fun tax topics to ah, talk okay. about. So you are world famous for your big introductions. I am only going to assume you have one now. We'll make this um, short but sweet because right. we have a lot of good information to talk about. All right. Well, let, let's hear it. Okay. Good morning, everyone, by the way. Thanks for listening. Uh, I brought in today my accountant, uh, CPA Andrew Diverti, and he is part of actually Ivory Planning Group, which is my planning group as well. Devin Dykstra's here today. He's a certified financial planner, and this is his third time on the show. Welcome, Di- Devin. Thanks very much. I feel like a seasoned veteran now. You're our, three times. our second, third time uh, guest now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I feel very special. You Thank should. You. I am. <laughs> I think I am special. And third time's the charm. We just were talking about exactly. earlier. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so excited to have you here. And I am so excited about your new building. You just moved. We did. Fort yeah, Langley. we're excited. We uh, we moved actually to Fort Langley, bought a place there finally. Um, there was a building brand new. Um, it's stratified. We thought, what a beautiful opportunity to go to a place that's... Uh, that's uh, kind of a boutique feel, which is really what our firm's about. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really excited to have moved in. Still working out some of the kinks, but um, yeah, we love it there. We really do. It takes a while to work out the kinks, hey? I think, I think it does. I think that's, that's You have standard. a lot of good people working with you, though. We do, yeah. It's full office, but um, that's the way we like it. Anyways, that's not why we're here. Devin, no. can you please introduce Andrew for us? Yes. So, uh, really happy to have uh, Andrew with me today. Uh, he is the head of our tax team at Ivory Planning Group. Um, he's been a huge part of our success over the years, and uh, I'm excited to have him uh, educate everybody a little bit more about taxes as far as real estate is concerned. One of the first topics is principal residence exemption. Can you uh, go into all the details as much as possible with that. Sure. Yeah. So just to give uh, some some background, the, the principal residence exemption for Canadians, the vast majority of people that will um, buy or sell their home that they're living in all of the time, or most of the time, they will uh, be able to buy and sell without any tax consequences. There is, uh, as of a couple of years ago, there's a form that has to be filed with the sale of your principal residence. Um, but the, the vast majority of the time, even though you're filing this form, there will not be a tax consequence. There's no tax cost of, to, to selling your own home. And you file that form when you do your taxes, correct? Not at time of That's completion? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And size of the property. Um, so I, you know, a lot of people who have been, let's say, for instance, been in their property or on the property for a long time, and they've got a really large property, and they're now going to sell it. Um, how does that work as far as ex- exemptions go? So for the, the tax laws allow for the first half acre, excuse me, half hectare is, is guaranteed to be included in your principal residence exemption formula. And uh, anything beyond that, then we have to start looking at how does it make, 
how can we make it make sense within the property? Uh, often there are cases where we can, uh, even though the size of the property might increase, we might be able to include those uh, acreages within the principal residence if there's something like uh, a restriction uh, on the municipal level that would say that this property cannot be subdivided. And so um, in, in that case, we'd be able to include the uh, the full size of the property. One of the challenges can be if, say, the, the house is at the front of the property and the rest of the, the property uh, is, is basically forested or is almost unused or undeveloped, then it, you have to try and make these other arguments to, to make sure that we can still include that in the sale, in the principal residence exemption and have the full, as much of the property uh, deducted, exempted. And just, just interject, um, if, if, if you say, okay, we have a 10-acre piece of property, the first hectare, uh, half hectare is going to be deemed principal residence and we, we all agree that, um, you know, the rest is not going to be exempt, how do you value the two? Valuing the two uh, can be done a few different ways, and it's going to depend on, on the individual's accountant in most cases. You're definitely going to want to talk to an accountant if this is a case where you're, you're trying to figure out how to allocate some uh, value to this specific space versus the others. Um, in some cases, you would look to the, the property assessment. In others, you might look to what does bare land sell for. Um, if if it is bare, if it's undeveloped, then we can say what is what is that selling for per per hectare or per square foot, uh, and and then use that as a, a means of working backwards essentially to calculate what then would the remainder of the, the property be worth that we can then exempt from from the principal resident or ex- include in the principal residence exemption. I think it's so important because so many homeowners, especially those who have been uh, you know a long time, they have acreage. Uh, you know, they have no idea. I mean, who who would know that you have to pay property gains tax on your pro- primary property if you've owned it 40 years or 30 years or whatever? You just don't think that. So uh, in in any contract or offer or if you're thinking about selling, you know, the warning is always call your accountant, uh, get advice. It is so important. And I can't um, push that uh, enough on people to, to you know, that's part of the steps before you, you, you sell, especially a complicated like that, because there's a lot of things you just don't know. Yeah. So take, make that call and ask that question to your accountant, because, yeah, that, that comes up uh, quite a bit. And that's regarding capital gains and everything. So is, do you have any other advice regarding capital gains, things to look out for, things to be aware of? The, the, in, in a case where uh, you have multiple properties, or actually even before we get into that, in, in a case where you are talking about um, uh, an acreage that might be farmed, you have that, that excess amount, uh, the, that extra space um, while it may not fall into the principal residence exemption, you could uh, theoretically or potentially be including that against your farming capital gains exemption, and which is which is a whole other uh, area of, of discussion. But it's, it's just something to keep in mind. If it is being used for farming, then again, that's an area where as you said, you're going to want to talk to your accountant and, and see how that's going to work. So really the size of the property really determines, you know, 
what it may be and definitely the, talk this, to your accountant. Yeah, the size and, and what it's being used for. Exactly. Um, and then, yeah, if, if we have multiple properties, then we're looking at, uh, say, for example, you have a, a cottage that is, or a vacation property as well as your own home. The, the calculation allows you to look at what, um, how can I use this to my benefit? It's one of the areas where you can. So do I want to designate this property my actual home as my principal residence, or do I want to designate the vacation property? And the reason, while the uh, the the wording, uh, the title is principal residence exemption. It's not necessarily your principal residence, your primary residence. You can use vacation properties uh, included in this calculation. So allocating a portion of the the gain. Uh, portion of the exemption to those properties versus I'm glad you explained that because primary residency everybody thinks it's where they live but so it's not quite that That, that's absolutely right yeah and and in in some cases it doesn't even have to be in Canada so if you have a Canadian resident who has a property uh, say down in the U.S. then that could also and that is used for their own use, it's their own vacation, they're not renting it out, then in that case you could use that as your principal residence or use the principal residence exemption towards that that property as well. Another one I'm going to throw at you, what about flipping properties? So what if what if somebody's just, oh, I'm going to flip a property this year, or maybe they do, you know, a couple the next year, uh, what kind of exemptions can they expect or do they all of a sudden become like an investor or if, if they do too many or can you explain flipping? yeah so so flipping a, a property uh, the the principal residence it, it does have to be available for your use uh, if you're buying a house moving into it and and your intention is to flip it then it may not necessarily qualify as a principal resident residence and you may not be able to use that uh, exemption against that property so if you're if you're getting into the process of your you're buying and you're selling properties multiple times through the year, then uh, that's likely more on the business side. You're in the business of buying and selling properties. And so in that case, it's not even a capital gain. You're looking at this is business income. I'm in the business of buying and selling properties. And then that's going to be taxed at a much higher rate. Is there a threshold or a cap rate of, of if, if I make this much, that makes me this a business? Or is it, it could be anything? No. If, you, if you're flipping homes or properties, then Yeah, so it, it's, um, it's really going to depend on a case-by-case basis. And it depends on your intention. Uh, if, if you're doing it, say, more than twice a year, then, then you're going to likely be in the, in the realm of, of, uh, of this is a business. So it's not so much the dollar value that you're looking at. It's more the frequency. Dollar value can come into it, but frequency is likely more a, a factor in determining that. So your write-offs are about the same, but you're taxed differently? or? Yeah. So the in, in buying an investment property, if you're buying with the intent of flipping it, then your your cost to buy the legal fees, the, um, uh, the property transfer taxes, and all that stuff that's going to be rolled into the 
the cost of the unit, and that's essentially your your cost of that that item. It becomes inventory at that point, mm-hmm. and so when then when it's sold, the cost for selling the uh, realtors commissions, what have you, legal fees again, those are going to be a cost for selling. Um, and so those are all then included in the, the buying and selling costs. This kind of relates closely to rental properties too then. Uh, what's your take on rental properties? So for rental properties, uh, if you're looking at buying a property for the purpose of renting, a lot of these costs that I mentioned, so the, the legal fees, the transfer taxes, those things are going to be included in the actual cost of the, the property itself. Uh, often we'll see uh, clients that come in and, and want to be able to expense those in the year on their personal tax return, but they're not able to do that because it's considered a, p- a part of the cost of acquiring the, the unit itself. So it's included in that cost. Uh, it's not to say that it's gone entirely. When you do t- then down the road turn around and sell that property, you're getting uh, – a deduction for it as as a form of the the cost base of that unit, but it's it's not an immediate return on that cost. And what about like mortgage, the mortgage payment and the interest rates write off? Can you explain that? Because um, I've heard uh, I've had questions. I mean that uh, and that they're a bit confused about that. So the the easy expenses that can be written off for a rental property are things like the insurance, the city utilities, property taxes. Um, the repairs and maintenance on a, on a small scale, those are going to be included as a as a uh, as a cost um, for the the year to year maintenance of that rental property. Property management. Fees. Property management yeah. fees, exactly. Uh, a big one is obviously going to be your mortgage payments. So often people will think that they can expense the full amount of that mortgage. But really, you're able to deduct only the interest payment. So if you're looking at where's my, how much money am I going to be making on this rental, it, that's the amount that you're going to want to look at um, as, as a form of, of what am I going to be able to write off. Nice. All right. We're going to probably want to take a break here, I'm thinking. So before we do that, uh, if people want more information about what you gentlemen do, uh, what's the web address? Yeah, it's ivoryplanninggroup.ca. All right, and Michelle, let's have your address again. MichelleCummins.ca. All right, we are back with segment number two of the Cummins Real Estate Group show with myself, Curtis Pope, and of course, the star of the show, Michelle Cummins. And we have Andrew here as well, who's been talking about tax. So I'm sure you have questions, Michelle, because you didn't give me one to ask. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, we ended the first segment regarding flipping homes and rental properties. And it leads me to ask the question about Airbnbs, VRBOs, if they're so popular right now. Can you explain those as far as, of course, tax exemptions and things? Yeah, absolutely. So the Airbnb... Uh, We'll use that as a shorthand. They are uh, a lot of the same expenses are going to be deductible because we're still talking about rental properties, even though it's it sounds different. It's still just a rental property. You're looking at the the mortgage interest, uh, the property ta- the property taxes, and and all those other things as well. The how much of those we're able to deduct is a little bit different though. If you're talking strictly about a full-time rental property, you're going to be able to deduct all of those costs. But if we're just looking at an Airbnb property, then it's going to be some percentage of those. So the determining factor is going to be when is it available for use. If you're talking about um, having the property rented 
for uh, just a handful of days out of the year, then all those costs get taken out by a percentage as, as it relates to those costs. And depreciation for the building per year, is that how you do it as well? Depreciation, that's a good question. So often in the lower mainland, we don't even deduct depreciation on a building because if we do that, then down the road when the property sells, we're likely looking at a recapture because the property values in the area Mm. in the long run tend to increase, as Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But so for that reason, we, we tend not to deduct them. If we had been, then yeah, the the same thing would apply. We'd take a percentage of of the uh, the the, the uh, CCA uh, the depreciation on the building. Um, however, for because likely an Airbnb is going to be your principal residence, you're probably not going to want to do a CCA the depreciation on the building anyway. CCA being the capital cost allowance is the technical term for it, but. Uh, it can get a little complicated, but that's why uh, <laughs> we have accountants to take care of it for us. Uh, well, what, how, what, when should a person like incorporate then? What if they have multiple? Like I have cli- clients who have multiple um, rental properties like this, vacation rental. So if you're looking at multiple rental properties, there are some cases where it can make sense to incorporate. Uh, often it's not going to make sense. If you're just a, an, a person that is employed and and are looking for a place to, to put some of their investment income, to create a holding company, to put those funds and to invest uh, for the purpose of a rental property, it's likely not going to make sense in a holding company because you're having to receive the money personally, pay tax on it personally, and then roll that mm. money into the holding company. And the problem with that is in the holding company, because it's considered, in most cases, investment income, it's going to be taxed at a very high tax rate, roughly 50%. So uh, the only way outside of that would be if we were looking at a case where there was many, many rental properties um, where the individual actually had at least five employees, uh, full-time employees. Okay. That makes sense. Um I wanted to ask you if, if you're okay moving on to another question about moving expenses. A lot of people don't know that you sure. can claim your moving expenses. That's right. Yeah, if, if you're moving long distance, uh, more than 40 kilometers closer to a new place of work, or even it doesn't have to be a new place of work, 40 kilometers closer to uh, a place of employment, those expenses can be deducted. So things like um, the legal fees, um, the realtor commissions, um, cost of actually traveling to the new location, so uh, moving all your your, uh, household goods, um, storing those in the new location for a period of time. Is there a cap rate on what you can uh, get back, like what you can claim? It, it's going to depend. The, the cap is, uh, in the case of actually uh, time staying in the new location, uh, like hotel costs, that sort of things, close to the new residence, that's 15 days. Mm-hmm. Or when, when I moved from Prince George to here, I got a heck of a tax return after that because you can write off just about 
everything with the move. The real estate costs, the yeah, the hotel on the way down, even food. I didn't even think about keeping food receipts and stuff, right? Like, it's amazing. I got like a $7,000 tax return that year. It was amazing. Yeah, the the, uh, the deduction that you can get after a move is is pretty substantial. As there are a lot of costs that go into moving your whole household from from one place to another. The uh, and the, and it's not even only deductible in that year. You can actually carry it forward into the year after and de- and claim that expense then. The best part was the government sent me a note after saying send us your receipts, and they ended up sending me three hundred dollars more that I didn't think I was getting. So that that bit the government right on the butt. Yeah, you want my receipts? There you go. Cost you more money. Is it a hundred percent write off, or is that determined on the move as well? It it is a hundred percent write off. If there's any reimbursement from an employer for the move, then that's going to reduce it somewhat. But but it is dollar for dollar against your employment income. Okay. And can we talk about GST for a minute? Uh, what information should sellers and buyers each have when it comes to GST? Because it can be really complicated regarding new homes, land, uh, substantially renovated homes. So in many cases, uh, GST, if you're just talking about buying and selling a property that's been around and developed for a long time, GST isn't going to apply on a, on a residential basis. If it's a commercial property, there is going to be GST on that, uh, that that needs to be looked at by your your accounting team. Uh, but the um, on a residential basis, we're, we're not really going to run into GST unless we're buying a brand new building, which has been, you're buying it from the, the builder, then GST is going to apply there. Other cases could be if, as you mentioned, uh, substantially renovated. So in what does that mean? Really, we're talking about it's been the house has been gutted. We've taken it right back to the studs. We've had more than ninety percent is kind of the definition of substantially renovated. Last question: What about farm status? So, for farm status, for the purpose of reducing your property taxes on the property, you if the property is less than an acre, you are talking about gross revenue. So, is your gross revenue more than ten thousand dollars? If you're talking about a property that is more than an acre, you have to have gross revenues. These are sales of eggs or whatever that you're selling of more than $2,500, which I know seems backwards, but that's the way the rules are. That's not too bad. No, no, it's not too bad. And of course, if, if you are able to meet those thresholds, again, that's gross revenues lined. And we're looking at potentially a, a 75% reduction in, in your property taxes. And when do you have to apply for it? That has to be done before October of the, the year leading into, that you're leading into. So uh, for this year, you'd be applying for the 2020 property tax reduction. I better go get some bees for my property. That's a good way to do it. A buddy of mine was looking into that. Yes, you just have to sell some honey. It'll keep your husband busy. I like that. Yeah, I like keep that. Keep him busy. Uh, busy. <laughs> yeah, see? I, I just All right, so people want more information about what uh, you gentlemen do again. What's the website address they can go to? So the website is ivoryplanninggroup.ca. And Michelle, once again, what's your address? Michellecummins.ca.